0: Hey there listeners, welcome to another wonderful Leadership is Changing podcast episode. My name is Dennis Genutzos and I'm your host. This week I actually had an interview with a guy called Glenn Moore. Now Glenn is a CEO and he's got 24 years experience in marketing and leadership. He is the CEO of an organisation called Bear Fox Marketing. What a cool name and an interesting name. So I asked him, How did that come about? And you'll find out what he said. Now, the episode is how to do so much with so little. That's the title. And we talked about certain things. One is first you learn, then you earn. What an awesome statement he shared. And then the other thing too, is that today's workforce is difficult to lead. Now, the thing here is that people want access to leaders in the world today. But the thing here is that if you're a leader and you have the ability to understand other people's motivations, then that's gonna be a great thing for you as a leader and the organization. So sit back and enjoy the interview. Hey listeners, welcome to another wonderful episode of the Leadership is Changing Podcast. I have a great guest with me here today. His name is Glenn Moore. Glenn, a massive welcome to you. Hey, nice to be here. Excellent. Now, I normally ask my guests, whereabouts are you in the world today? So that's the question. Where are you? I am
1: in the thriving metropolis of Boise, Idaho today.
0: See that, listeners, how he built that up. That's awesome. So, (laughs) You're not a marketing by any chance, are you? A little bit. A A little little bit. bit. Yeah, so you're the CEO of Bear Fox Marketing. Tell us more about the organization and what you do there, but also tell us more about your background.
1: Yeah, of course. Personally, I'm a dad of three tweens. I love to ski and I love to pickleball and aficionado, so I'm excited about that. Professionally, I've been in marketing for now about 22 years, so I started out on the corporate side and got my MBA marketing kind of into traditional route. And then about uh, eight years ago, I decided to, to leave the corporate world and start in as an entrepreneur, started a new business and we started Bear Fox marketing. And what Bear Fox marketing does is we work a lot with small and mid-sized businesses. So SMBs, and we help them to profitably scale their growth. So my background is all about performance marketing and helping companies to grow.
0: Excellent. And I've got a few questions here. One is the name Bear Fox Marketing. Where did that come from?
1: That's a good question. Yeah. So my business partner, his name is actually Bear Newman. And then when we were trying to think of a a company name to put together, we were just putting in it and I kind of thought, well, Bear. And when I was a kid, I don't know that there was an organization through the YMCA called Indian Guides and all of us had your own little name. And so mine was Climbing Fox and so I was like, Bear Fox, there we go. So that's kind of what originated with Bear Fox.
0: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, very cool. That's a great way of actually coming up with that. Now, the something I actually ask leaders that I work with who are running their own organizations, you know, all sorts of different sizes, but they worked for a large corporate before, and then they went into their own business and transitioned into that. What was that? I know it was eight years ago, but what was the transition like for you from going from that corporate world where sometimes it could be a little bit comfortable, even though you're working your butt off and things like that? but then transitioning into your own business. Scary,
1: right? Hmm. Definitely scary because you have the comfort, the stability, all of that history and all the experience that you gained, all the connections on the corporate side. I remember when I left my the president of the company I was working for, he said, boy, you must really, really want to stay here locally if you're doing that. Because he thought I was nuts because you're on a kind of a very predictable career path on where things are going to go. And then you jump right out into the wild blue open and a lot of uncertainty, right? And mm. I think what I've seen over the last eight years is you get the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. You feel it much more deeply than you did when you were on the corporate side. But I can't say that I'd want to go back now that I've done. I've done both. and I, I wouldn't say that I'm a true entrepreneur in the sense. I'm a little bit more risk averse than maybe a true entrepreneur would be. But I really enjoy um, building my own thing as well.
0: Mm-hmm. So if I came along to you today and said, okay, we're offering you a multi-million dollar deal to come and work for us again as an employee, you wouldn't look at it? Of course I would. Of course, <laughs> That's good. I'm glad you're being honest there because I think really where I'm going with that one, listeners, is that at times you just need to evaluate what's right at the time for you, for the family organization, the opportunity and things like that. So sometimes, but I totally agree with you, Glenn, that, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, it's
1: kind of, it's funny because one thing you hear a lot with people that start their own business is, well, you don't have anybody you're gonna have to report to or nobody you're answering to, but the truth is that's not true. You've got your clients and you answer to them. And so there's never like a true freedom where I have nobody I need to keep happy. And so that's true. Whether you're an entrepreneur, it's true whether you're in corporate marketing.
0: Yeah, you're right. And then, you know, there's also the bank at the beginning, they're also there looking at you. There's there's all sorts. You may have a spouse, a partner. There's always, you know, there's someone there to sort of help you stay accountable to things too. And you want to make sure you deliver really well for those clients, which is really important. Okay, cool. So that that's all good. Now the question I've got for you is how did you get into leadership in those large corporate roles? Were you in a leadership then? How did you get into
1: it? Yeah. Yeah. I would say that kind of evolved over time. So I love the quote, first you, you learn, and then you earn. And I think the same comes with leadership is you really have to learn first. You have to start. Sometimes the people that I work with these days, particularly Gen Zers, they come in and they want to come in and make an immediate contribution and move into a managing role right away, into a leadership role right away. And I think it's really important to be patient because there's a time for that. And I also think that there's certain personalities that make great managers and there's others that don't and it's not a knock on you if you don't have those attributes to be a good manager there's great executors out there and you don't have to become a manager you don't have to be a leader but I think as I was going through my career some people some mentors that I had just kind of saw some of that in me and said hey let's develop this and started giving me little opportunities to manage somebody else coach someone else and I think that that's something I kind of look for When I'm looking for people who's going to be a good leader or manager in my corporate, in my company is to say who's all about themselves and their own performance. And then who's about how can I help this person or this teammate? And they're more externally focused. And some people that's not for everybody, right? Those are like some of the things I look for who could be my next round of leaders I can develop.
0: Yeah. And I think there's the flip side too, that sometimes as leaders, we want to find someone to go and take that management role. And we look around and there's probably our best executor, a subject matter expert. And we go, oh, you'll be great. And then a lot of leaders don't set them up for success and they fail. And it's just a sad story. But I think the big thing here is, is that if, and even there's probably people in roles today, Glenn, who I think they're just probably not happy being in the role that they are. And I always say to them, hey, if you don't want to be a leader, it's okay to say so because there's going to be something for you to go and excel out and, and do really well. So why not say so rather than being miserable?
1: For sure. I, I learned the hard way. I've made mistakes of putting people in leadership roles that shouldn't have been in that role. And I think about one in particular example where this lady, and she was fantastic, my top performer, and she had an amazing, very, you know, she played college collegiate sports and very competitive and just very competent in what she did, came in and she just did a great job. And so I thought naturally she'd be a great manager. I was like, who would I want her to teach everybody else everything that she knows. And then I put her in that role and she floundered. It was so difficult for her. And then after about six months, we kind of had a discussion and, and she was just like, I'm way out of my element here. I need to back up. And we actually, it was difficult for her because she was so competitive, but she recognized that that was not a role for her.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and good honor for recognizing that. And, and yeah. do so. I had a leader that I gave an opportunity to, to go into a role as well, because they were wanting it. Sometimes people are wanting something, but as you said before, sometimes they're not ready or the patience, but you know, he's talked really well, they wanted the role. So we put him into the role and cry just about every single day. Don't like it, things like that, you know, and really, really interesting to see. So I think sometimes they want it, but when they get given it, they A, are not ready for it, or B, it's a little bit harder than they actually thought it was.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And sometimes I think in their mind, they think that's the natural progression of my career is to move from this into a management, to a leadership role. Yes. If I'm okay. not doing that, I'm not advancing my career. And so I think as a leader that I have is is to say, hey, can I, how can I give people opportunities to develop and advance, even if it doesn't include that leadership or management track, right? Mm. It's And that's okay. I think that you can do that. You have you might have to be a little bit more creative, but you can
0: do it. Mm. That yeah. transition thing that we talked about before going into other roles, I think some people find it hard to make the decision to go into to do something else, which is interesting. And, and the think the thing here is that for a lot of people, if they're going to go off and do something, make sure you prepare well for it. It would never be perfect though. I, I think Glenn, you and I would agree that. It's a thing that you go into and you start to find your feet as you go along and you're going to make mistakes and there's going to be certain things. But as you said, first you learn and then you earn and it's the mm-hmm. patience. Cause for a lot of people, they go, "Da da, I arrived, I'm in my business. Where's the money? It doesn't <laughs> work like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's funny. Cause I've, I've now owned my company now for eight years and they say that you learn a lot from your failures because it's absolutely true. Of course, I would have loved to not have to go through a lot of those failures and would have loved and so. So I think that's one thing that's great about podcasts like yours is that, Hey, I can learn from some of the best minds. I don't have to learn this myself. I can hear it from other people and kind of learn from their particular experiences so that I don't have to go through necessarily everything that they did.
0: Right. Yeah, you're right. And that's what people are saying that to me, they're coming to this podcast. You know, it's an asset whereby they come to a go-to place to learn things and find out things, which is great. But to you. You're right. I mean, we learn from it, but it's okay to make mistakes. We're not talking about everyday mistakes. We're talking about making a mistake every now and then, but learn from it, grow from it, and move on. Mm -hmm. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Now, you you and I have worked with leaders before. You've probably studied leaders and so forth. Now, this person could be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why?
1: Yeah. I love the question. I'll give you two. History, one of my favorite leaders is George Washington. I know you're I'm from New Zealand, but he's somebody that I, I really admired. I've read a lot about him, uh, modern day Elon Musk. I just think there's a lot of things about Elon that, you know, he can be a little bit abrasive, but I think that he has some amazing leadership abilities that, that I've
0: learned from. Mm. What, say so if we talk, think about Elon Musk, what's one or two of those leadership attributes you really like? I just love his grit. I read his autobiography. If you
1: haven't read it, the, the Walter Isaacson book about him and with his bi- biography is fantastic. And it goes through, he grew up in South Africa and he dealt with a lot of challenges. You know, he was bullied pretty heavily as a kid. I remember he was pushed down the stairs and he had really, really difficult jobs. You know, I remember one, he was talking about him and his brother were under the crawl space of their house and that was his initial job. And so I love, I love it when you have people like that, that have really dug ditch, so to speak. Like they've, they know they, they don't come from a silver... But they really had to work hard and dig and work through some pretty difficult circumstances. And so I think with him, that's one thing that really stands out to me is whether it was whatever a company that he's been in, he just has this unsatiable grit and work ethic. It's not for everybody. In fact, it's probably not for me. I know how much time he spends with all these different companies, but that's one thing about him that just really impressed me is his total commitment, his total grit. That if he didn't know the answer, he was going to figure out how to get it done. And he was willing to take the right risks to move his companies forward.
0: Yeah. Nice. Nice sharing there. Yeah. I'm pretty safe. I think in saying that you haven't met George Washington. So if, (laughs) yeah, if you and George Washington were sitting on a park bench, having a coffee Mm -hmm. together, would there be a question that you would love to ask him? What would it be?
1: Yeah. I think with him, one thing I'm really impressed with George Washington is just His ability, sometimes as leaders, we feel like we need to have the perfect people, the perfect system, all of the elements to be perfect for us to be really thrive in our leadership role. One thing that really impressed me about George Washington, that would be my question to him, is how, how did you do so much with so little, right? Because you think about him and with the Continental Army at the time, these farmers, they weren't trained soldiers, they weren't being paid well at all, and they volunteered and they were working alongside of him and they were going up against this juggernaut of the British army that were the most well-trained force in the whole world. And they're coming in there they're outmanned and they were out equipped. I mean, they, they were walking around with, you know, they didn't have boots and they were walking around on their bare feet. I mean, it was re- crazy just how many stru- challenges and difficulties that army had, but George Washington had an ability to instill and motivate folks in such a way that they would do anything for him. And I think that that was such an amazing, that would be my question for him. And I don't know if he can answer it. And maybe it's just something that had to be developed, you know, within him over a period of time because he had his own failures as well. But that's something I would love to talk with George Washington about.
0: Yeah. Great question. How did you do so much with so little? Ah, very good. And I think mm-hmm. that actually is quite interesting how we talk about that because we're going to get into the next two questions, which could sort of relate to it as well, but I think for a lot of us, we, as you said, things being perfect, but also oh, I've got to have this app. I've got to have this tool I've to do, do you, I, I don't, I don't know if you do. I mean, I think the leadership is leadership and then you get down to the pure basics and just get on with it, but smack that out of the ballpark. If I could put, take that terminology. That's the mm-hmm. thing you need to focus on.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So the show here is called leadership is changing from a marketing perspective. What is the title or the saying leadership is changing? What does that mean for you?
1: Mm, That's good. I'm sure it means different things to different people to, to me, one of the challenges that I see in my leadership role and how that's changed is some of the new workforce today is very different than what Gen Xers were, you know, the Gen Z group and the Gen and millennials, they all have very different motivations and they're different. They need to be managed very differently. And so I think leadership and how it's changing now is to be adaptive enough to be able to change your style and to be able to motivate people differently that have very different sources of motivation. You know, like I might work with a, a Gen Z or that they want to align with a particular cause, or maybe they have a social cause that's really important to them. or they want to discover themselves, or maybe they are still exploring different elements of their job and they're not sure what they want to do. You know, and that can be very, very difficult for a leader is you get somebody that's working for you and they're not sure what they want to do. They're still trying to feel things out. And then you have, you know, more of the gen Xers and they've been through there and they've done that. And they're much more, I would say, more resilient, you know, because they've been there and so. Sometimes with them, it's just, hey, these are a list of things that I need you to do. You're the right person. You go figure out how to do it, right? Mm. And with others, you need to give them the support. So that's one thing I've I've kind of noticed about how leadership is changing is, and I think gone are the days, like everybody wants to get access to me. I remember when I was young and I was coming up in the corporate world, I could never get an audience with the CEO. Never. I could never get an audience with senior management. Mm. I would have to go you know, come up with a great proposal and have it approved by my direct supervisor. And then I would get an audience with them. And boy, if I made any mistake, it wasn't going to happen again. Right. And so now it's really interesting because I think that hierarchy is kind of coming down a little bit Mm. where people come in and say, I want to be able to have access to the CEO. I want to have access to these people. And they're not, it's not as, there's not as strong man of this strong man leadership as there used to be. Where this the leader was untouchable, they want to be able to make a difference and have a voice within the company.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. And that voice is really important for them to know that a they've got a voice and b it's being listened to. Because what what happens? Because I think there's a lot of leaders whereby I mean, we're talking about employees, we're talking about leaders, everyone at those roles. Do you feel yeah. like the leadership is changing is one thing, but do you feel like that leaders' voices? being heard at the table? In other words, when they're in a meeting with their peers or they're with their customers or stakeholders, do you feel like sometimes their voice is being heard or isn't being heard? What are your thoughts on that? In what way? In other words, are they being influential? In other words, they can say something Mm. at the table and is that being heard or is it just sort of not being listened to? Or here's another example. You might say something at the table and then nobody hears it and you go like, oh, that's a bit interesting. And then two minutes later, somebody else says it, and they go, "What a great idea!" And you go, "Huh? How come?" Do you, yeah, do you ever see that?
1: that? I've just said that. Yeah, yeah. No, hundred percent. I was actually just thinking about that yesterday. It's kind of funny because sometimes I think we like to hear ourselves talk, right? right? And we'll have a discussion together as a group, and then I can tell somebody came in with their perceived notion of what they wanted to do, and. Even though we had this discussion, there was all of this great added value that came from the discussion. when they left and they summarized that discussion, it's kind of like it was exactly what they went into that discussion with maybe one or two little extra things. Yes, so that's the great point is sometimes I think that it's it's for the great leaders, you're open to feedback from wherever it comes mm-hmm. from the for the entry level position all the way up to the top. you're open to that feedback and see in fact, I remember when I worked at Rekabenkizer. I remember the senior leadership would have a suggestion box and they would go through that suggestion box once a week and you could go through from anybody. So I think that's great to be able to be open enough to suggestions from wherever it it might be, Um, but also understanding it. But at the end of the day, we want to get a consensus as best as we can, but sometimes the the leader has to say, okay, this is what we want to do. And, And some people might not like it, but we need to rally behind that decision and say, okay, we're good. I might not like it. I might not agree with it a hundred percent. And that's a challenge. That's a challenge today, especially if people have their own you know, preconceived ideas of what the right thing to do is.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So we're living in a world where it seems to be getting faster. And you may even see this in the marketing space, but also in business as well. And whether it's technology, data, business, as I said, social, it all seems to get faster. In fact, so much so that you and I are probably trying to adapt to something. By the time we've learned it, it's already out of date. of else has come along. How do leaders be successful in a fast-paced, ever-changing world?
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that question. I read a really good book from Gina Wickman. It's called Who, Not How. And what the principle behind that book is, the higher you get up in leadership, the more you need to get away from the day-to-day decision-making that's going on in, in that organization. So your role changes from how do we fix this to who is the right person to fix this. And I think when you have an ever-changing workplace where everything's changing so much, you personally, you're not going to be able to keep a pulse on all of that information. It's impossible.
0: Mm.
1: And so what we need to do is get really good people that we trust to be in, to sit in these seats and have these responsibilities to delegate to them and then elevate them so that they can be able to make those decisions. And finding the right who's, the right people that can make those decisions and then trust their judgment. They're going to make mistakes sometimes. But honestly, I, I've seen organizations where you've got a leader that tries to make every decision where they're sitting in every single meeting and they're expressing their voice and everybody just kind of cows to that a little bit. And what happens is you don't get this free flow of ideas. You don't get, you don't make the decisions because that one person can't possibly do it. So again, the who rather than the how is so important as we get move up in the leadership role.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, what's quite interesting is the fact that sometimes I say to leaders that I'm working with, do you go to meetings and you have one, two or three of your own team members in the meeting with other people? And they go, yeah. By you being there, don't get me wrong, there's going to be times you're going to have to be there to support, approve and things like that. But majority of the times you're going along, do you think you're sending them a message without even saying anything? And they go, what do you mean? They think you don't trust them. And yeah. you're turning up. And so, come on, you're not probably getting the best out of people. Or if I facilitated an event, Glenn, I, I actually get to say the leader we talked about beforehand, I want you to sit back as a leader. I don't want you contributing a lot. I, at times, I look at you to contribute because if the leader says something, they will go, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do what the leader says. Well, that may not be the right idea. It may not be the mm-hmm. best idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. What well, I love the idea, going back to Elon Musk, kind of what he does in meetings is He'll give people a pass. So if they're in a meeting and they're like, I really shouldn't be here, they can get up and walk out of the meeting and, and nobody's going to get offended. Nobody's going to ask him about it later. That sometimes we'll have those, you know, especially when we get a leadership, we might be in meeting after meeting, after meeting throughout the day. We have to look at ourselves. Do I, do I really need to be here? Even if I'm the CEO of the company, is this something that a subcommittee can do and then come back and just let me know what's going on later on down the road? Do I really need to be a part of this meeting? And sometimes you'll look at them in a meeting and you'll have four chiefs in there and then one or two, I, I shouldn't say chief in India, but you know, generals and soldiers right in there, but you've got a lot of people in that meeting. Do you really need all of these leaders in this meeting at the same time? Yes. Or are you wasting your time? You know, and, and so I know with a small company, being productive and efficient is really important and doing the most with the staff that we have and and that delegation is so important to making sure that we're spending our time where we really need to spend it
0: you know yeah 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 that's a good point about spending the time where you need to because your time and my time probably spent you know we got our strengths as well we're better off somewhere else doing things but yeah you're right Uh, I just sometimes look at these meetings and I look around the room and go like you think about what everyone's earning per hour and things like that. That's an expensive meeting. Yep.
1: It's a very expensive meeting.
0: Yeah. And actually, they're actually, in my keynote, I talk about leaders aren't actually adding any value in the meetings. They're actually sitting there and a lot of them are actually thinking about their deadlines that they've got to meet. And also what's the next meeting coming up? That's where their brain's at. They're not actually in this meeting. So yeah, yeah they really interesting. You know, I,
1: I like that point you brought up because if you look around the room and you say, What's the hourly rate for all of these individual people? If they were to bill the client for their time right now, mm. how much would we be billing here? How, what's the value of this meeting? Do we really need five or six people in here right now? Or do yeah. we need two or three?
0: You know. Yeah. yeah. And listeners, don't get us wrong. You do need to have these meetings. I mean, these meetings mm-hmm. are important or, and so forth. But I think that there's too many meetings for meeting's sake. If you actually uh, know what the purpose is, the intent, what you're trying to get out of it, And you've got action items and people are accountable to those and it's been done. Great. Nothing worse than two weeks later, we go to another meeting and we're talking about the same things and it still hasn't been done. It's just, yeah, yeah, no good. Yeah,
1: completely agree.
0: Now, you and I have been talking about leaders and so forth, but if we were to change the lens now and think about it from an employee's perspective, you and I have both been employees, but also we have employees and so forth. How has employees' expectations of leaders changed?
1: Hmm. Well, we talked about that a little bit before where. Access to leadership is more important now than ever. Also, expectations with it again, it's going to depend on what size of or what generation of people that we're talking with, right? So, like Gen Xers, oftentimes they want to have a purpose. They want to make sure that more than just having a job, they want to make sure that they're making a contribution. They have a purpose to to be, and so I think that that is really important for them and expectation that they have. I think those that are a little bit older especially those in Gen Xers right now, they want to have, they have an expectation of having a better work-life balance where, hey, I want to be able to have a little bit of flexibility so that I can, if my kids have a concert, I can go to that. Or if I want to work from home for a little bit, I can do that. We're seeing that right now with flexible workspace. So I think those are some things that leaders are kind of dealing with different expectations from their employees. And recognizing that and recognizing that we have to manage everybody a little bit different. One thing that I like to try to do, and if you ever done personality tests for employees and things like that, I've done that and it's, it's really enlightening because you're like, you can understand what motivates this person and what type of interaction do they like? And it's not just the introvert extrovert. It's what are the things that give them a sense of accomplishment, right? And help them. Get satisfaction from their job, what I get might be very different than what the next person gets, so I like to keep a, a spreadsheet of every employee I have and then I write down what is their internal motivation and then making sure that how do we play to that in motivation so that we can help them get the most out of their job mm. and it, it's really interesting because since i've been doing that, our turnover as a company has gone way down and I don't think it's because of something i'm doing i'm trying to encourage that with everybody in the all the management as well as understand what those motivations are and what those personalities are, because you're going to have to adapt your management style to them.
0: Yeah, sure. It's not the power of the spreadsheet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We all love spreadsheets, don't we?
0: Exactly. So yeah, definitely understand their motivation. In other words, what makes them tick and if you can do it, I mean, I remember having a meeting with a very senior leader within HP globally, sitting in Palo Alto, actually. And he said to me, where do you want to be in two or five years? And I actually said to him, I actually want to start my own business. And he said to me, cool, we need to help you do that. I was like, what? That's pretty neat. And I was like, hey, and he goes, yeah, we need to help you do that. I mean, what do you mean? He goes, this is HP. This is whereby we help entrepreneurs go off to go and do their own thing. And why not? I mean, we, you, you're talented. you got this and you got that. We we can help you do this. This would be great. And I'm like, this is a different conversation. He's listening to what my motivation is and where I'm wanting to go. And you know what? I would go the extra length for that guy. I would go and help yeah. him do, do more. It was brilliant.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, and you bring up a really good point because sometimes I think that as managers, we might have a tendency to say, oh, geez, I don't want to develop this guy so much, or I don't want to have him be too successful because then he's going to take this and create his own company, or he's going to replace me or replace my job. And so maybe they could hold back on providing, on really developing that employee the way they should. And I, I think it was Steve Jobs that was, that was really big on this. He's like, we just have to stop, right? Like, we have to assume that if we help them develop the way they should, they are going to add so much more value to the company than they would in any other case, right? Mm. It's so I think that, yeah, super powerful, super powerful to stop worrying about that and just worry about how do we develop people. And what I found is that, personally found, is that when I really care about people, I'm trying to develop them. They want to be loyal to the company because they don't experience that with a lot of other companies. They they really don't. Mm -hmm.
0: That's also about our legacy, right? I mean, it's about us. Our legacy is not just about people in the company, staying in the company and they take over from us. As you said, they may go off to somewhere else as well, but that's your success story as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean. That's where you are today because you and I have been given the opportunities to yep. go and grow and, that, and then we've gone off to go and do it. That's what it's all about. Yeah.
1: I remember one of my favorite bosses, it was so funny, he's passed on now, but when the day that I left, he said, hey, come on downstairs. And he took me down to the parking garage and he opened up his truck and he just like, I just really appreciate all that you've done. And I want to make sure that you know that. And, and here, I've got some gift certificates and stuff. I don't know where he got all these. But he had like American Express gift cards and all this stuff that the company had given him to kind of just give to people. And, and I was like, okay, he's not giving me, me this because he wants me to stay or he's trying to bribe me to do something for him. Like, he's just a good guy and he really wants to see me be successful. And what I just loved, I appreciated that so much in him as the respect for him went through the roof. It's just mm-hmm. like, this is a guy that really does care about the people that work for him.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I wonder if that was done to him in the past, right? Whether he had a leader like that and experienced it, but also it's about us then taking that and going and doing it with others as well and and helping them. So it's pretty cool. Now, if you were to get your crystal ball out and talk, think about the future, right? Uh, the future side of of things, where do you see leadership being in five years?
1: Hmm. That's always a hard question to answer because things change so quickly. Hmm. I definitely see things going more and more remote. For those of us dinosaurs that are used to working in an office, right, I think those days are significantly changed post-COVID and we're kind of coming back a little bit more to a hybrid type of situation right now. One thing, we've kind of embraced this hybrid leadership style where, you know, where some of us are working in the office and others are working remotely and so far, as long as we have the right expectations the tracking the tasks that we're giving people people are thriving pretty well in it so i see that that trend continuing in the future another thing that i see in leadership especially and i'm not sure how i feel about this one i have mixed feelings about it but i'm seeing a lot of companies it used to be that companies were about okay here's our earnings we need to make our earnings we got to get our sales what's happening right now within companies is interesting it's something i'm not familiar with, and I'm not sure if I completely like it, to be totally honest with you, is social cause marketing and, and companies where now you've got companies aligning with these social issues. And that's going to be a major change in the next five years. I, I can see us continuing to go that route. So like, if you want to work for a particular company, you need to em- embody a certain amount of values or political persuasion or something like that. The reason why I have such a hard time with that is because my experience is the more diverse of opinion that I can incorporate into a company, the better off we're going to be. And so sometimes I, I look at that and I'm like, Ooh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I definitely see that coming.
0: Yeah. It becomes very clicky. If I can put it that way. So in other words, no, you can join our team because you're right. It doesn't bring the diversity, but it doesn't bring the different ideas, the different <laughs> thoughts, because your customers are different. And your Mm -hmm. customers will be thinking about things from a different perspective. So we need to be a bit smart about that. Yeah. That's a very good point. I'm really interested to see where it's going to go.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and whether that's diversity of background or race or ethnicity or religion, whatever it is, I think it, it adds to the richness of the fabric of the company when you can have that kind of diversity and that kind of, you know, and I think that we should voluntarily look for that. Because if we have everybody that's thinking the exact same way and they're all in the same meeting, you know what the outcome of that meeting is going to be.
0: Right? Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to be in trouble for sure. Yeah. 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 yeah sure. I like it. They say so the diversity uh, brings that rich fabric. Um, yeah, nice. Very good. Well, Glenn, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. So if our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where, where do they go?
1: Sure. So the, the website is www.bearfoxmarketing.com. Like the two. Animals, Bear Fox Marketing.
0: Yeah. One guy was Bear. The other guy was Climb Fox. So that's it. Yeah, that's where it is. So we'll put that <laughs> into the show notes. So it's very good. So Glenn, once again, thank you so much for joining today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, excellent. Well, there you go, listeners. Hey, remember, first you learn and then you earn. And remember that, you know, having access to you as a leader is really important. And the way that we work today is different in the way that we lead people than it was in the past. So for those dinosaurs out there, remember, it's a little bit different as well going forward, because if you have diversity in the organization, you have this rich fabric that you can bring, and uh, it's very exciting. Hey, thanks for joining us on today's episode. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening
1: to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.